0: Welcome to a bonus episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie Decherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. All right, so Sophie is in the room with me, by the way. So if you hear a jangly sound, that is her. And hey, how's it going, <laughs> Danielle? It's going very well. I'm excited
1: for so many of the episodes that we have coming up. But I also love a bonus. I love a bonus. And I'm you know what's really cool? Like, I'm psyched. We got a lot of emails, like too many to choose from, a lot of emails about the Sun Tea jug. <laughs> I knew it. Which is like <laughs> so charming. So many of y'all are fiends for Sun Tea. Like you are yeah. our people and we appreciate it. Um, but I feel like we should give an update on Sun Tea jug.
0: Okay. So... I think it might be impossible to actually <laughs> offer sun tea jugs uh, with our logo on it because as you know a we're going to have to find somebody who sells blank sun tea jugs for customization which I don't really know who's who's in that business well not not only that we can't ship glass yeah shipping like, glass like it's not it's
1: not like we're shipping it from our homes like we're shipping it from a company yeah. And then we have to store the sun chi jugs and hope that they survive transit to that place and then to you. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of we kind of uh we bit off more than we can chew with that one.
0: <laughs> well, I, we first of all didn't realize it would be so popular of an idea, yeah. <laughs> quite honestly. I know. <laughs> um but then and then when we started kind of lightly researching it alongside some of the folks here at exactly right I was, I was personally like, I watch a lot of Shark Tank. So the thing that I was thinking about the most is like getting the price (laughs) down, getting the, the, the manufacturing price down. And the more I kept thinking about it, I was like, we're never going to get the price down. We're never like, it's, we're going to have to spend so much money to manufacture it, to ship it. That it would be an insane amount passed on to the customer. I don't think y'all wanted to pay like $80 for a sun tea jug. I'm just saying. Oh, this this is my
1: $100 sun tea jug.
0: <laughs> that I got from this podcast that I listened to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they had the fucking nerve to make it, so I had to buy it. And I regret it every day. Like Every glass of sun tea that you drink will be infuriating. Because you'll just be remembering how much you had to spend to make it.
0: But I will say this. If any of y'all want to come up with like a prototype design, like maybe, you know, I'm not saying we can do anything with it. No promises. You know, maybe we can just post it on our social media or something. But if you have like a design you're working on or some artwork about a Sun with the with the I Saw logo on it, have at it as far as I'm concerned. Get
1: creative. Oh, that would be really fun. That'd be like a fun little social media thing. Yeah. So we could see all these. We have so many creative people following us. I'd love to see your Sun T. Jug designs.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've got some like actual graphic designers that follow us, I know for sure. So I'm not I'm not going to call you out by name, but I'm just saying that if you came up with a a concept for it, maybe we could post it. And then now.
1: also, if you, this is, I mean, this is something that I hate to say, but it's just factual because I love our listeners so much. But y'all don't buy our merch. <laughs> so <laughs> we can't in good faith even make a Sun tea jug because everyone's like, yeah, I'll buy one, yeah, I'll buy one. And then we put up the merch and people are like, no, I didn't actually mean it. So well, like, I, we, 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 we kind of tested the theory with our give us the B of the D shirt. Which so many people said they would buy. And now that we the shirt actually exists, that is not in fact true. <laughs> so I don't think they're gonna let us keep making merch because y'all ain't buying it. So yeah, if you if you if you love us, if you meant it, buy one of our give us the B of the D shirts. And if we actually start selling merch, then maybe we can eventually make one sun tea jug and raffle it off.
0: Yeah. Hell, I'll. I'll hand letter it or something.
1: I'll stencil the shit out of it. I'll fucking do some glass etching.
0: Yeah. Maybe we should do that as like a gift, a gift to somebody. Let's just make our own handmade sun tea jug. What are the and,
1: parameters uh, for the, for the raffle? It'll be like, you have to show us, you have to prove how much you pee in a day. Like, will you drink a whole jug of sun tea? Or maybe that's, Ooh, maybe that's it. Instead of like, you know, those, um those contests where you have to put your hand on a truck and then the last one standing wins
0: Oh, my God.
1: Hands on a hard body.
0: (laughs) Hands Hands on on a sun tea jug.
1: (laughs) That would be so fucking funny. And then everyone will get sued. It'll be wonderful. They're like, oh, my God, my fucking partner hasn't had anything to drink, hasn't moved in like five days just for this fucking sun tea jug. (laughs) Our house is a shambles. Our children are filthy.
0: Okay, here's the plan. We're gonna rent a, a ballroom in a mid price hotel. We're going to put a custom hand stenciled "I saw what you did" sun tea jug in the middle of the room. Clear out all the chairs, all of the um, tables, and then we're gonna make people put their hands on it. They're gonna have to basically pile on top of each other because you know, as a, as you know, a sun tea jug is not that big and you're going to have to, whoever the last person standing is, is the winner of this jug. We're Beautiful. not paying for your accommodations or your food. <laughs> if you bring loved ones to the event, they're going to have to book their own rooms in the hotel at their expense. We're not paying for anything. And at the end of this Herculean task, you will simply go home with a Sun tea jug.
1: You will be dehydrated. I'm pretty sure your your endocrine system will shut down. You will also basically you will also have hospital bills at the end of it. <laughs> but you will have a sun tea jug at the end of it yeah. as well.
0: The poop that has collected in your pants will have created a rash that no dermatologist will be able to fix all in all in effort to win a prize from a podcast. Oh, God.
1: That would be an amazing story for you to tell your doctors. <laughs> like, how did this happen? Well, it started with an episode of a film podcast. And now I've been <laughs> hospitalized for three weeks. Like someone who was roaming around the Andes after a plane <laughs> crash. <laughs> I have the same amount of injuries that you would have if you were in the movie Alive or if you were part of that <laughs> soccer team. But all I did was go to a ballroom and hold the sun tea jug.
0: Was, I had to or, bite, bite my own limbs off with my teeth.
1: <laughs> I'm missing digits. <laughs> my mouth doesn't even work anymore. My mouth doesn't even work anymore, and I can't even enjoy the sun tea I'm going to make in this jug. <laughs> was it worth it? Yes. Yes, it was worth it. Or... Modification. Since we're renting the ballroom, what if mm-hmm. we do a little uh, duck, duck, goose style? Like we, you mm-hmm. and I, just walk around and tap people on the head, mm-hmm. and then they have to put their whoever gets to the sun tea jug first and puts their hand on it wins. And we just keep whittling people out until we get down to two, yeah. and then we make them actually fight each other for it.
0: Look, I, we've never been afraid of a bare knuckle brawl. <sighs> Under, under our orders, of course, there's no, there's no greater satisfaction in life than to force strangers to fight for, oh, something, for something that you will be giving them.
1: Oh, yeah. We are dictators at heart.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we oh. are the worst of the worst dictators at heart. And if we, di- if we didn't have pets, I think we would be diabolical. I think our pets keep us loving and, and generous and kind. The the long story short of this intro is we can't do it. We can't do a Sun Tea Jug. <laughs> Thank you for your interest and we will come yeah. up with a disgusting diabolical scheme to get one of them made and yeah. then we will either raffle it off or find some way to make everyone fight for it.
0: Yeah. Well, and like to to be this is in all honesty, There have been ideas to create like a Sun Tea jug sticker or something like that. I mean, we'll look into it or whatever, but just know that we can't ship glass and that we did research it a little bit and found out that it would be prohibitively expensive (laughs) for you to purchase this jug. So there that goes. But we love the enthusiasm, you know. We love that uh, you're
1: hydrated. We love that you're hydrated.
0: mm -hmm.
1: Stay mm -hmm. hydrated out there. I think we should get to some emails, because the more we talk about this, the more schemes I'm coming up with. Oh, I know. And I don't think anyone wants that peek into my brain.
0: Yeah, we we spitball so many business ideas and so many schemes, just like you and I sitting around. So we should probably get to emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We spitball so many business ideas.
1: <laughs> Actually, we should compile them. I feel like when when the podcast is over, like whenever that is, decades into the future, we should have a, a running list of all the businesses that we've thought up. Oh, like I'll, I'll go back and listen to all the episodes from the beginning and be well, like, "What yeah. have we thought of?"
0: And you have to include like TV shows that we've created. Like I was listening yes. to an old bonus episode the other day and about we created a. a A reality television dating show about killing your husband. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, I forgot we said that. We're going to have to produce it. Too bad there's a strike. (laughs) It's a great idea. We also,
1: at one point, uh, redesigned a box of crackers to not include any (gasps) recipes on the back.
0: Dude, that is so old. (laughs) I can't believe that. That's a deep cut.
1: shit let me read this first email but yes yeah. we, we will combine we will combine all of our business ideas and then we're just going to hand them to somebody and be like <laughs> can we patent we'll hand them to a patent lawyer and be like hey huh? any of this work huh and then we'll get laughed out of every office it'll be great <laughs> our first email is from isu and the subject of this email is my insane comfort movie pick and a question hi i saw pod crew I'm Isu, she, her, a day one listener. I'll get right to my story. In college, I casually recommended a movie to my friend, saying it's one of my comfort movies and that I watch it when I'm feeling down. With just that recommendation, my friend watches the film, hoping to be cheered up. The next day, she storms into my dorm room, pissed and distraught, saying, why would you recommend this? Was this a prank? You're completely banned from recommending things now. The movie... (laughs) A single man directed by Tom Ford. Yep, (laughs) my feel-good movie was about a depressed gay man with a dead husband who thinks about suicide the entire day. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a prank. I feel like how George, the main character, feels at the end of the movie is very clarifying, and it helps me have perspective on my own life with gratitude. I still stand by my own feelings, but this experience made me ask more follow-up questions when friends are looking for movie wrecks their definition of feel-good may not match mine. Plus, I earned a reputation among my friends for having an insane comfort movie pick. So a question for you, what are your insane comfort movie picks? Always massively enjoy listening to you both. When it launched, it was exactly the film perspective I had been wishing for, and it still remains so to this day. And I do watch the movies. Love, Isu. Aw, thank you, Isu. I feel this in my bones, and I have, I think we have like 120 episodes of this podcast to prove how insane my comfort movie suggestions are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, any movie I've recommended from the year 2000 to 2010 that Millie uh. watched that she hasn't seen before is an insane <laughs> comfort movie watch. Um, but I love this question because I think that comfort movies are so specific to the person, so it's hard to recommend comfort movies. It's easy to recommend movies you like. It's easy to recommend movies for a specific mood. But comfort is a hard one. It's a, I, I wouldn't take that on explicitly because it is difficult. But I think one of the movies that's one of my comfort movie watches that I think is in the same vein as Isu's, which we actually will be covering on the pod shortly, is The Hours, yeah. I fucking love it. I could watch it back to back all day, every day. I don't know why. It's such a sad movie, but there's just so much story and life in that film. And I just, I love it. I love It's visually stunning. Michael Cunningham's book was so great. And I think they did a great job of, you know, translating it to film. And it just, it's just one of those comfort movie watches for me that I could, it's, Again, for me, a definition of a comfort watch is something that I can turn on when I need to feel cozy or I need to feel better. And that is definitely one for me. But my other insane comfort movie picks or comfort picks are actually more TV related because I cannot tell you how many times I've watched Chernobyl from start to finish. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I don't know why. I know. It's fucking (laughs) fascinating and insane that it happened. I cannot get over it. But like the music and the visuals and like, I just, I just love it. I just fucking love watching it. And I hate that it happened, but I love watching it. I think, again, they did a stunning job with representing exactly what went down and how the government failed and how the political climate of the time failed and just like all of it. I just, I love it. I yeah. it's insane that I I cannot tell you how many times I've watched Chernobyl like all episodes probably I think I've probably watched it 16 times. Wow. I just put wow. it on, I put it on when I when I'm traveling. I download it when I'm traveling. That is dark.
0: Even <laughs> for me. <laughs> like I was sitting there going like, "Oh, she's probably going to say Hannibal." <laughs> but but Chernobyl, in fact, was darker than Hannibal in terms of what I thought you were going to say.
1: No, it's a fucking great series, but it is dark as hell. And I think the reason it comforts me is knowing it kind of propels me into action to kind of not ignore when things are objectively wrong in the world. Mm. Like you have to fight against things that are completely wrong, that are harmful to humans. So it's just kind of, activating in that way for me, a little motivating. Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't what they intended when they made it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a great story. Like I I also I think what's also really what, what's comforting to me is the the storytelling aspect of it. So same with the hours where I just I love watching a complicated story unfold and it yeah. it motivates me in my writing life to think oh yeah i can do that i can i can yeah. have my mo- my more insane ideas kind of play out
0: yeah well listen that is an insane comfort pick <laughs> um that you really nailed it on the head there <laughs> isu i'm with
1: you i'm with you right
0: <laughs> i mean i think mine are like i like what you said though at the beginning about kind of a distinction between like what's comfort because I kind of see it in two different ways. So there's like the comfort film that is sort of aesthetically comforting, like whatever mm-hmm. that story is, like even a story like, like a movie like Badlands, for example. right? Terrence, Terrence Malick's Badlands. Like that is a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. It is about two people who are on a crime murdering cr- crime spree. Yes. But, the, the the tempo, the soundtrack, the score, the pacing of it is very beautiful, right? So that would be kind of like a perfect example for me. Yeah. In the same vein, and this is an actual, I would call it a comfort film for me, is Flowers in the Attic, which we talked about <laughs> on the podcast before. <laughs> like, the movie is so deeply fucked up. It is literally about child abuse. However... I I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> You're also in this like world of this like crazy house and these like weird kind of Victorian-ish nods to things. Like there's, you know, the grandmother with her like kind of Victorian collars with the cameos, and I don't know. It's got this kind of like dollhouse vibe to it. <laughs>
1: Like it brings me back to my own childhood of playing with a haunted doll. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> something, there's something aesthetically like and there's the soundtrack of the like ha, 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 ha. Like that's from the little mermaid. But you know what I mean. It's like a <laughs> Can somebody
1: please do a cut of a Flowers in the Attic trailer to the little mermaid soundtrack? <laughs>
0: But, you know, it's like that type of soundtrack of like a woman singing a haunted
1: melody. (laughs) It's ethereal. We know you love Kate Bush. We know you love an ethereal bitch.
0: I love an ethereal bitch. But that, so that's a comfort film for me. It's Flowers in the Attic. And then another one is definitely way less chaotic, but something that is a comfort film is Sneakers. We talked about that movie too, where Sneakers is like (laughs) kind of like a weird crime, heisty group film type of thing, but I think the score, the score, the way it's shot, all of that stuff is very aesthetically comforting to me. But then you have the other side of the coin, which is like a comfort film, which is that simply something that you have seen so many times and that you just kind of know the tempo of it, Mm -hmm. you know when the, the scenes are coming up. And of course, that shit for me is Forrest fucking Gump. Exactly. Like, I was like, I've seen feet Forrest for Gump probably like 500 times. That movie for me is So I
1: Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah. When, oh, yeah. It's, and it's. I was just talking about this with my nephew the other day because he was asking me for film recommendations and like we were talking about movies. And I was like, I don't, we were talking about how, um, his his girlfriend, his partner, had never seen Austin Powers, and so they rewatched it, and she didn't get it at all. She's like, this is not funny. And so we were talking about how... There are some movies that might not be great, but they're comforting to you because you watched them at a particular time when they were impactful. So, yeah. you know, he watched that when he was like eight years old and he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So yes. he will always love that movie. Um, I will always love So I Married an Axe Murderer because of the poems and the jokes. And I haven't revisited it in a long time, but I think it's it's very comforting that I can just recite it and I know the jokes that are coming up and they will still make me laugh.
0: Well, you're not on Letterbox, which I keep telling you you should be. But I fucking rewatched So I Married an Axe Murderer last night. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen it in a long time. And like, it still hits, dude. Oh. It still hits in so many ways. The, the mom is so good. <laughs> She's so good. <laughs> I wish the entire movie was about his family, to be honest. <laughs> I know. And Anthony LaPaglia is so good. Yeah, it's 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 such a great film. It, there was just stuff that I forgot that <laughs> happened so many times where he just keeps... The, the running joke is, hello, hello! And I'm like, wow.
1: With a giant cup of coffee. Like, oh my God, it's so... The the poems, <laughs> the poems. She was a thief, you gotta
0: belief, <laughs> And it's like... The the thing that really warmed my heart this time, watching it was the simple idea that Alan Arkin <laughs> would care about his employee so much that he would act like a nineteen seventies oh, gruff police chief for him for his uh. employee. Beautiful. I've I gotta know.
1: rewatch it. I gotta I was rewatch like, it. Is he
0: not the best boss of all time? Like, what boss would do that for their employee? I just it was remarkable. So,
1: uh, and also I we we do have an episode where we we discuss two of our insane comfort movie um, watches, which I think still holds up for me: Close Encounters yeah. of the Third Kind and Millie, all that jazz. Like all that
0: jazz. Yeah, all that jazz is pretty insane. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, so.
1: Oh, uh, great question, Isu. If anyone has, um, maybe we, we can revisit this question and keep thinking of ideas for you. But absolutely fantastic. Don't recommend anything. Thank you for watching the movies. Thank you for writing in. <laughs>
0: All right, so it's my turn to read an email. This one is a thought experiment, so I'm I'm curious as to what you'll say about it, Danielle. Mm. It's from Danny, and it reads, Hello, Millie and Danielle. I want to start by saying that I'm such a huge admirer of you both. I have read and loved both of your books, and I look forward to hearing your voices each week. Thanks for sharing parts of you with the rest of us. The other day, I was reading an article, and I learned about the director, Derek Jarman. I am always interested in consuming more content made by queer creators, so I did some digging, and I saw that many of his films were on the Criterion channel. I started watching one of them, The Last of England, and found it challenging to watch. I really want to consume and experience different types of films, but this one felt inaccessible to me. As much as I tried to engage, I just felt lost. So I guess my question is this. Is there a secret to watching films that might be considered experimental? Or is life just too short? And if a film feels tedious, maybe that is my clue to move on. Thanks, Danny.
1: Oh, Danny, what a great question. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
0: So here's my take. <laughs> because I... um. I've been in your shoes, Danny, honestly. First of all, I am a fan of Derek Jarman. I love a lot of his films. I also love Derek Jarman as a person, like his story with his garden that he created. And I I just, so Derek Jarman is a hero and I love him. However, he does have films that are really challenging. In fact, I feel like The Last of England is less challenging than one of his films that's just called Blue. Mm. And it's literally just a blue screen, the entire film. No action, no people, just the color blue for the length of the film. So I'm sitting here thinking about this question, going like, yeah, I mean, honestly sometimes movies are challenging and maybe too challenging (laughs) for people. And there is really no secret to watching them. You just have to, I mean, sometimes it might be a good idea to return to something that you thought was just like not the move for you just to see if you have a new opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of felt that way with a lot of movies that I like now. Like, there are movies that when I first watched it, I didn't like. And then right. I came back and thought, oh, okay, now I kind of see what this is all about. I would think that a movie like John Dillman is one of those films where mm-hmm. people find it very challenging. And people are like, God, everybody loves this movie. I don't understand why people, what are they getting out of it? But like I said, I think that it's kind of like your results may vary. And yeah. I, I, I don't like the, the idea that you should love a certain movie because it's like mm. what cinephiles would do. Or like, you know, people like this movie is genius and that you feel like you're missing something. I don't think that you should feel like you need to figure it out if you don't want to. Right. But I would say, you know, just to give something the benefit of the doubt, maybe give it another whirl. If you if you didn't like it. But yeah. then there's just certain things that are just gonna turn you off patently and it's never gonna hit. It's just this it, you know, to me, like I said, it's not there is no secret to it. I feel like it's just like, yeah, if it's if you can't figure it out, if it's too dense, if it's too experimental, if it's too whatever, then it is what it is, as they say.
1: Yeah, I you know? I agree. I don't think movies should be punishment and I agree with you that there is no secret to experimental films. I think that it's very much about the time and the place that you watch it. And I I think that you sh- if there's something that drew you to wanting to watch the film to begin with, maybe watch it again in a few years, maybe try it again. But also, I'm a big fan of Cut and Run. Like I am not sitting through something that is not hitting just for the sake of it. So if you are starting an experimental film and you're like, this isn't it for me, turn it off. No harm, no foul. Turn it off. But I, what was that last? God, I keep, can't remember the name of it now. But there was a film that Orson Welles released. And, or he never released, but it was recently re-released in theaters a few years ago.
0: Oh, The Other Side of, what is it called?
1: The, the Other Side of the Wind. Fuck that movie. Like, I tried so fucking hard and I was like. Yeah, The
0: Other Side of the Wind.
1: I went with a friend to the theater and it's like five fucking hours long and I was not feeling it at all, at yeah. all. And that's the last time I ever even tried to watch something that I wasn't feeling. I left, this isn't even an experimental film, but I got about 30 minutes into The Irishman and I saw that CGI they did on Robert De Niro's face, and I was like, nope, not for me. I don't have three hours for this. I can't do it. And I actually, I saw it in a theater with a friend and purposefully took a nap. I fell asleep. Yeah, I'm like,
0: yeah, I can't do it. Well, and like, as, as we're talking about this, I, I, I remembering the time many years ago where one of the theaters here in Atlanta played the Cremaster Cycle. Oh, have you Lord. heard of those movies? The Matthew oh, Barney yeah. movies? hmm And I have two friends of mine, Stuart and Parks, who, um, I love, they're like my film snob friends and, uh, they will go and see like the most fucked up, you know, experimental or challenging or content-heavy films. Like, like they're the ones I can count on to watch, like, any Ari Aster, any, yeah. you know, <laughs> Lars von Trier, like, problematic, fucked-up movie, right? So they're like, oh, God, the Crime Master Cycle's coming. We gotta watch it. And I went and saw... So they played, like, them in, you know, obviously the, there's five of them. And I remember we went to... I think it was four and five. They just It was a day they were only playing four and five. And I was like, when five happened, like I watched four and was like, mm, mm, this is not, mm. And then five, and by the time five came on, I was like, I truly cannot. I was dissociating in the movie theater. <laughs> like I just, it just wasn't something I could grab onto. And I- was like, yeah, I just can't do it. And even though I just suggest that you go back and try challenging movies again, I don't think I'll ever come back to that. I just yeah. don't think I can.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Like, I again, if you try it and you're like, I can't, you don't have to come back to it. Some things are they hit the first time and you're like, This is absolutely not for me, definitively. Don't try it, don't punish yourself.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: But if, you, if there short. was something that made it interesting to you, like, and again, because you're looking at, you know, Derek Jarman specifically mentioned in your email, if there's something that draws you to that creator, not all of their movies are going to be for you, but feel free to cut and run. And then again, who knows? In 10 years, you might watch The Last of England and, and love it. Yeah. So just be nice to yourself. Definitely don't push it. I don't think there's a secret to it. I think it's just some things just don't hit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but don't don't feel that pressure to feel like you're missing something. I mean, sometimes it is just somebody's art, somebody's thought experiment, and it, maybe it's just not for you, and you and you can't can't penetrate it, and that's totally fine. So, Aww, thanks for writing
1: in, Danny. All like, right. Oh my god, this next one, I love it, I love it, I fucking love it. Subject of this is '90s high school bedroom walls. Hi, Millie and Danielle. I recently showed my 15-year-old daughter a picture of my bedroom from when I was in high school in the 90s, and she couldn't believe the amount of movie posters I had covering my walls. I literally had wall-to-wall movie ads covering the walls, whether it was actual movie posters that I got from our local video store, you could request the posters that they used in the stores once they were done with them, or the hundreds of full-page movie ads I got from the many movie magazines I subscribed to. So my question for you is, were your bedroom walls also covered in movie posters, or were they covered with other things like bands or Tiger Beat heartthrobs? You ladies are the best. Thank you so much for your voice and perspective in this noisy world. Diane, she, her pronouns.
0: Mm. Mm. So what is, what is your take on this? I want to know.
1: My, I wish I had a fucking picture of my high school bedroom. I wish I had a picture. We didn't take a lot of pictures back then, but I wish I did. My walls, which, by the way, were wood paneling in the apartment I grew up with in my in the duplex I grew up in with my grandparents. I covered those things from top to bottom. My grandmother rarely came in my room because she could not stand to look at all the shit I put up on my walls. Particularly, I had a Led Zeppelin poster where Robert Plant is kind of like reaching his arm out. And it kind of reaches out of the, the, the scope of the, the poster itself. Mm. And his pants are so tight. <laughs> And she's like, I'm not coming in this room and looking at that man's dick.
0: <laughs> she put her foot down about the dick.
1: <laughs> fair, fair enough. Grandma's not look, grandma doesn't want to see a dick. Fair enough. She's aged out. But
0: <laughs>
1: I had I did I had movie posters more when I was in my early 20s because I worked in a mall and they would change out the posters in the kiosks, and I would always ask for them. And growing up, I definitely had a lot of tiger beat heartthrob type photos, your river phoenixes. You know, your, your weirdo heart throbs. A lot from Sassy Magazine, a lot of Sassy Magazine pullouts. Mm-hmm. But I kind of did a weird thing because I would also paint a lot. So I painted all these weird shapes and shit on my walls. I painted my whole closet. I had like an armoire that I covered in colorful art. And then when I started getting really depressed, I just painted it black. It was very sad. And like my friends would come over and sign it. And then I just painted over it, which I regret. But I ha- I did a really weird thing. When I was in high school, I think I've talked about it on the pod before, but I would track directors. Like, this is pre-internet. So I would track directors in the most insane outline you've ever seen, and it stretched across. I would write it on the actual posters that I had on my walls. So at one point, I had a Clinton Gore poster. Because I was, like, very politically active high school student. Mm -hmm. And after they won, I kept the poster up. But I started marking down, like, Mark Romanek directed this music video, directed these films, directed this. Like, I kept my own list. And then I would draw a line to, like, oh, here's an actor that he worked with in this movie. And I would draw a line. From Mark Romanek to, like, Robin Williams, and he worked with this director and blah, blah, blah. So I had this truly mentally insane grid that stretched across two walls in my bedroom that was just me tracking film directors.
0: Wow. 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 That's amazing, actually. I know a couple of friends that did stuff like that, that would, like, write down directors, or they would write down, like, do their own film reviews or something yeah. like that. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, so I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this, but, you know, I also painted my bedroom, too, like, with words and... F- oh, my God! Yeah. So to answer this question properly... I actually did not have a lot of movie posters up in my teenage bedroom because I don't know why. I just don't think I had access to posters. Like, um, I I, I was probably unsure of how to actually get them Mm -hmm. beyond like maybe going to Spencer's or something. And the only one I probably would have put in my bedroom at the time was probably like Reservoir Dogs or something. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I did have a,
1: a train-spotting poster that I got from Spencer's, which was just all of them lined up in a mugshot.
0: Yeah. I mean, the if I had access to, like, a cutting-edge poster or, like, a Memphis Bell poster, sure. <laughs> I would have definitely put that shit on my wall. Or, like, any SNL comedy, like a Wayne's World poster <laughs> or something like that. But at the time, I just didn't know where to get them. Yeah, And then I, I think for me, my thing was I liked music a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't really have a lot of movie or music posters. So what happened is that I started out very small and I used like this like, craft hobby paint and painted like the Nine Inch Nails logo or something on oh <laughs> <in> the wall. <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, and then was kind of testing the water, seeing if my parents would would freak out if I had painted. And then I eventually kind of started getting growing bigger and bigger. And I was, listen, I was such such a loser, I mean, you want to talk about Mike Myers' character in *So I Married an Axe Murderer* being like a faux beat beatnik <laughs> guy? That was me. So, ah. so I had like would 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 like write out like Kerouac quotes, and and then I had oh. just like bullshit on the wall, like against animal testing or whatever. <laughs> the Body Shop was, you know, like it was so so dorky so dorky so i was just like a like i wanted to be like whatever um i wanted to write like poems and quotes and then artwork of the era and stuff so i was it was just like some bullshit kind of hippie and it ended up like i ended up starting small but then the whole room got taken over and every time i kept thinking my parents are going to ground me. They just never did. And I found out much later that my dad and mom were like, oh, we like let you have that for like six months. And then we waited for it to to get it all out of your system. And then we painted that shit and it took forever. It took like four coats of primer. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but I appreciate that they let me do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So That's good I don't parenting. know. Parenting. Yeah, they were very, I mean, my parents are great. I have a really good relationship with them. But the more and more I have asked over the years about like, what was it like to be my parent? They were like, oh, we just let you do your dumbass thing until you got sick of it. It was
1: like watching someone in captivity.
0: <laughs> yes, they are <were> like, <laughs> we knew that if we sat, we shut it down very fast that it, you would rebel. So if you and your sister just like got sick of yourselves and fell on uh. your own swords- Good it's Lord. less work for us. So it was that kind of parenting style, which I very much appreciate. But yeah, so that was kind of my bedroom. And then I would would cut out, of course, cut out photos of like hottie guys from Sassy. So like I had, I, I remember there was an article in Sassy Magazine about Jude Law. <laughs> like when, when Jude Law first came on the scene, like he was like, a, like, he had like bleach blonde hair or something and they were like, who's this new cute boy on the scene? It's Jude Law. I cut his, around his head, you know, (laughs) and then just took the head and and taped it to the wall.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) Jude Law's floating head (laughs) is the title of this episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, But I was also... Into the zines, so yeah. I was used to create like cutting pictures totally. out of magazines and like, and then I would also do shit like I would take episodes of the Weekly World News. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, so I married X Murder and cut like stupid headlines out and just like tape them to the wall. It was like a fucking record store in oh my God. house, basically. my My bedroom was like a a city record store filled with ephemera and bullshit.
1: Oh, same. Same, just yeah. thrift store shit that I would find. I had an, I bought an old hat box at one point and mm-hmm. I would cut out my favorite classified ads from like the Village Voice or my local newspaper. Yes. And so there'd be all these little like rectangles of weird information or like, you know, people trying to find love. And I would put them, like glue them into the top of the hat box. Yeah. And it would always make me laugh whenever I opened it up or whenever yeah. I found one that I wanted to save. But yeah, a lot of cutting out a lot of floating heads, a lot of music, a lot, a lot of painting. a lot of painting, <laughs> a lot of painting. and a lot of our parents just ign- politely ignoring us and hoping we would just get over it and we did. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah, and it's only now that I really have movie posters. now I have like tasteful framed movie posters in my house. Yeah. But when I was a teenager, it was it was pretty much Jude Law's Floating Head essentially, so. I love it. Great question, question. Diane. Great question. This next one is funny. This is from Maggie. She, her pronouns. (laughs) The title of it is called Tight 90s. Hey, ladies, I love you. Let's get into it. (laughs) That's a great opening. I live with my girlfriend and our close friend, and we try to consistently do movie nights together. Most of our picks are fun, ridiculous, terrible, but also maybe incredible rides. Some of our faves have been Double Jeopardy from 1999, The River Wild from 1994, and an I Saw Pod fave, Dante's Peak from 1997. As we search through streamable movies, we consistently use one descriptor to look for a tight 90s. Movies that hit around 90 minutes or less and take zero time getting straight into the action slash plot. Do you guys have any tight 90 recommendations for movie nights with three thrill-seeking 30-somethings? Love the pod. Love everything that you do. Maggie. Maggie,
1: such a great email. Such a great question. I definitely have a couple of answers that come right to mind. Cool. One that we've actually covered on the pod, Attack the Block, which I think is 89 minutes, maybe 90. Yeah. And Attack the Block is f- furiously, like you're just into the plot immediately. It's such a great film. Also, weirdly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre
0: yes. is a tight 90.
1: A little thrill-seeking for that. And this is also weirdly one of, another one of my um, comfort movie watches from the first email we read. Um, I think Swamp Thing is a tight 90.
0: Ooh! I could be
1: wrong on that one, but I think Swamp Thing is a tight 90. So those would be my my off-the-dome picks.
0: That is really great. Actually, <laughs> I love... I love Attack the Block. I, I No wonder that movie's so fucking good. It's like 90 minutes, wow. They really yeah. pack in a lot.
1: And they do such a great story. So, so much with the story for 90 minutes. They really do a great yeah. job.
0: Well, to that point, I think... I I feel like Commando is 90 minutes. Oh. Which I mean that's that's because Mark Lester is a fucking boss. Like he was like <laughs> we don't need this movie to make to be more than an hour and a half. He's like we need to get we need to get a, a light pegging scene. Some mall <laughs> action and then we're out. It's like right at, at an hour 30, which is which is something that I appreciate. Now, I want to say this. There's another movie that's under an hour and 30, a tight 90, under a tight 90, that is nonstop thrills. And that movie is Crank. Yeah! (laughs) Crank is an hour and 23 minutes. That, I mean, it's kind of amazing. That That is truly incredible. Yeah. It feels long as shit, but maybe it's because you just want it to be longer. But really, it's, it's pretty short, like, They pack in a lot in that movie, as you know.
1: (laughs) Oh my, oh, we have discussed it on the pod. And they're like, we need an underwater scene. We need to blow some shit up. We need some grease fighting in a fucking garage. We need, just get these action scenes in. Yeah. And we'll build the story around it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like any of those movies that we've just suggested are good choices, especially if you're kind of in that, like, Dante's Peak, River Wild sort of vein But yeah, I feel, you know what? I will say this, and this is not like a hard and fast rule. And and, and maybe this isn't completely obvious to people necessarily, but I feel like if you're going to watch a movie and you are looking at the cast list and the director list, and you realize that the director has been an exploitation director at any point in their career, ah, they know how to pack it in. Like, I gotta say, like, (laughs) <laughs> exploitation directors have worked under conditions where they had to make really insane movies in very short amounts of time. And, and so a lot of times their runtimes are like fucking insane. Like it's like a yeah. 75 minute, you know, heist movie or like a 90 minute, you know, action movie that takes place in like four different countries. Like it's, like they're really good at that. So I would just say if you, if, if you, are looking for something under 90 minutes that's really exciting. Mm. Just, just double check and see if that director has ever made exploitation movies. I think, I think it'll be good. So I think, was Caged Heat under 90 minutes? Uh, it sh- it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine... It not being under ninety minutes. Uh, <laughs> ah. It was yeah, eighty three minutes. Eighty three yep. minutes. So and they could like have that. No, no, just respect to my fucking man, Jonathan Demi. But if you shaved about five minutes off that, I would have been okay. I totally mean, totally fine.
1: You could, yeah. They got to come in at 70, 78 minutes, seventy five minutes. Dude. I been all right with it.
0: Yeah. So that's the thing too for me is that I think it's because I I used to program old movies and a lot of times old movies. I mean this the shit was like 75 minutes. Like a tight 75 is kind of my vibe. If you can make a movie in an hour and 15 minutes like you're you're cooking is what I'm saying.
1: So there is there is some stories and some narratives that are better served by the tight 90 or by the yeah. tight hour and 10 minutes. Yes. And it's again a remarkable feat of storytelling that could also be a weird challenge to yourself as a filmmaker. But I do think there, there are some films that you're like, all right, Dogville, I see why this needs to be nearly three hours long. But then there are <laughs> other movies where you're like, this could have been an hour and a half shorter and I would have been fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, I started getting cranky about this runtime shit when I would watch like the Judd Apatow movies. And I'm kind of yeah. going, why is this a two-hour comedy? Like some of these jokes could have been trimmed. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, like it's not, there's not really a ton of plot That needs all this explanation. It's just really like comedians and comic actors riffing, yeah. And that's why the movie is so long. And I'm just like, yo, that's a good point, though.
1: Like people who are just in love with their own ideas so much that they can't get rid of any of them—that's dangerous as a storyteller. I think. I think you have to be able to. You have to be willing to get rid of some stuff, especially in a day and age where we have DVDs, physical media, YouTube. You could put all that shit on a bonus or like put it in extras and let people see how funny it you are. Um but yeah, I think the question needs to be asked more of like does it serve the film? And a lot of a lot of movies could be cut for time that have yeah. been released recently and I would have been fine with it.
0: Well, and it's it's funny because I I was thinking about this too like a long time ago about you know, TV versions of films. Mm. And as you know, like a lot of times for TV, you know, movies are cut for time. They're cut for content. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're in the wrong aspect ratio sometimes, but also like, you know, because of broadcasting parameters, you know, sometimes you can't have like a two hour and 12 minute movie. Something's got to go type of thing. And as much as I am definitely into respecting like a director's vision and putting the most complete shit out there, I think it's because I grew up in such a TV era for film mm-hmm. that sometimes I'm like, oh, I mean, so in some cases, like, I only know the TV edited version, like, for Sixteen Candles. Like, I remember seeing that movie outside of television for the first time and going, oh, this movie is actually way longer yeah. and has a lot more things that I never knew because I've only seen it on TV. Exactly. And, uh... You know, and sometimes I'm not saying 16 candles, but sometimes with certain films, (laughs) I almost prefer the TV version because it does (laughs) it does make them leaner and meaner. And I'm I'm mostly talking about modern comedies. Yeah. Okay. Jesus.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, such a good question, Maggie. Oh, such a good question. I hope you have a good you have a good movie nights with your girlfriend and your housemate. But that was a great question. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Maggie. Last one, right?
1: Yeah, I'm going to read it, though.
0: Okay, cool. So the
1: email subject is, I saw a mailbag you." Hey, I love you too, and this podcast so much it hurts my feelings. I was wondering what both of your collections of physical media look like. It's so frustrating when I can't find something on streaming. It's like it doesn't even exist. And I conjured up a false memory of it in a fever dream. I'm torn between wanting to declutter and get rid of DVDs, taking up entire bookshelves in my house, and not wanting to lose this stuff forever. Are we minimalist queens or hoarders, and are you the type of people to display it with coordinating little toys as house decor? I'm thinking of a specific adult man-child with superhero figurines, Funko-pop uh, Funko dolls. Like, here's a tiny Molly Ringwald next to the breakfast club. I am lightly bitchy about them, but I might adjust my hater-ass attitude if that's your thing, I promise. Please never stop giving us the gift of your personalities via this pod. Courtney, who uses she-her pronouns. Courtney, do not ever adjust your hater-ass attitude with us. We welcome it.
0: I, I'm not into toys. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say that right now. I'm not into toys. I'm a, I'm a grown woman. I have tasteful collections of statuary and other (laughs) things, but I don't have toys.
1: I cannot say the same thing. (laughs) Um, I don't have a lot of toys. I don't. I don't have a lot of toys. But I do have my grandmother's curio cabinet in my house. So there is a glass cabinet with all of her, like, teacups and Jesus figurines, but I also got her a um, Walking Dead Funko Pop zombie doll at one point mm. that she put right next to her Jesuses. Um mm. And her Jesus figurines are segregated by color. So there's the black Jesus shelf and then the white Jesus shelf. And the Funko Pop doll is black. So she put this zombie-ass doll on the black Jesus shelf. And then I, I'm i not into toys, but I weirdly, the last two times I've been in Columbus, Ohio, there's a great store that sells a lot of old toys and figurines and I kind of have a habit now of when I go there of buying old 80s wrestling figurines. So I have a junkyard dog and a Coco Beware. But those are the only toys. And I actually that's not the only toys. Oh my God, I really am that person. Ah! I have (laughs) I have a tiny spinning TARDIS, a dark Doctor Who TARDIS that if you like pull it back, it'll like spin as it propels itself forward. I guess I'm a toy heaven bitch, but they are not on display next to my 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 physical media. Yeah. And well, that person.
0: And, and as I say this, I'm now looking at the shelf behind me and I realize that there's a uh VW bus uh made by Playmobil. Ah but that but that is really for my nephews. So this this room that I'm in is usually where my nephews stay when they come to my house. Right. And, you know, I have a toy for them if they want to play with it. I have a toy. You have um, one
1: tasteful toy.
0: One tasteful toy. And and even the toy that's on there is something that they don't want to play with because they're like, why the fuck do we care about a VW bus? What like, even God, is this is...
1: thing? What the yeah. fuck even is this thing? Yeah. But I do so, I do have physical media, and I actually don't have a lot of it on display. I have a... um a cabinet that my TV sits on, essentially, and it has drawers and shelves underneath it with doors. Um, so I keep all of my DVDs in there, and it kind of helps me to keep them organized so I can see them, but then not also have them out on the shelf as part of the decor, because that is not something that I I want to do. Um, I have kind of a sparse, minimalist sort of um, aesthetic. And so not actually no i have more of like a homey aesthetic like a home down like cozy aesthetic so it just doesn't jive for me to always have them out um but they're easily accessible and they're right under the dvd player so that's kind of how i tend to do it
0: yeah and and quite honestly courtney like i have just made the executive decision to display the dvds because here's the thing for many years, you know, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was—I had a few DVDs, but I wasn't, like, collecting them as much as I used to. Then, with the streaming, the advent of streaming, I started to realize, of course, I think now, which is in full scope, which is that the streaming services ain't doing shit for us. They're not putting things out there. And uh, they take them away just as quickly as they, they put them up. And you got to collect physical media if you want to keep stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... I started buying DVDs again a few years ago, but I also had DVDs, you know, sent to me over the years cause I'm a programmer. So I, I was creating a collection and I have so many of them now that I was like, I need to buy a shelf again. I'm back to where I started, which is that I'm, I'm going to have to display this somehow because I don't know where else to put them. And so I, I bought a shelf and maybe I'll take a picture of it and put it on the, put it on the Instagram stories or something. But I don't know. It is not, like, to me, especially people like us who have, like, aesthetically-minded types of thoughts about our homes, I'm not, I won't say that I super love the vibe of displaying yeah. DVDs. I've tried to do it in a way that is as not high school boy as possible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, a tasteful cabinet.
0: Yeah. I really, we were talking about this before we started recording today, but I really want to at some point get custom uh, shelves made for my house. But right now they're just kind of, kind of on a shelf and a a blonde wood shelf. And for right now, that's how they're going to be. But yes, I, it's, it's always a conundrum. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Cause I, again, like I spent many years sort of like, having dvds and cds everywhere Mm -hmm. and i just felt like wow i have i've grown past that but then now i'm kind of back to it so it's a little
1: well i also i i mean i will hit up a criterion sale every time whether i'm buying one film or 10 but i think that that also helps me to like i think it's i think you should have physical media but i think you should manage it so for me i tend to only have DVDs and buy DVDs of things that I know I will want to watch again and again, yeah. or things that I know I will want other people to see. So yeah. I will whittle shit down and be like, all right, like I like this movie, but it's not crucial that I have it at my fingertips. And that helps kind of manage it a little bit. But yeah, you should have physical media. And like, I don't think you have to choose between being a minimalist queen or a hoarder. I think you should just have what you like. And if you don't like the way it looks with the with the actual aesthetic of your home, then buy, buy a cabinet or buy, you know what also works really well, which could also be a fun craft project? Buy an old dresser at a thrift store and throw them in there. Like use it These as drawers. a- drawers. Yeah, yeah, use it as a credenza. Paint it, whatever you want. Throw some new legs on it. Use the drawers to hold all your stuff, so that yeah. it's like you know you could put fun, functional shit on the top of it, but then inside of the drawers is all your DVDs,
0: or like a nice little barrister bookcase that would be really cute. Yeah, but yeah, I it's uh it's I I'm with you. I I only buy at this point DVDs that are either totally out of print or um are kind of like special edition stuff, like the nicely packaged kind yeah. of indicator, vinegar syndrome-y type of things. So I don't have like a super massive collection, but I definitely have like all the Criterion stuff. It's it's tasteful. It's tasteful, but it also requires shelving. So, you know, but yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for writing in. Thanks, Courtney.
1: And yeah, get yourself a craft project, find a credenza or an old dresser, sand it, paint it, stain it, do whatever you want, throw your DVDs in it.
0: A hundred Okay, so that's it. Hope you enjoyed the bonus. So if you want to email us, we are at I saw what you did, pod at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can send us a voicemail to play
1: on the show. All you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone and email it to I saw what you did, pod at gmail.com. Make it 60 seconds or less. And please record it in a quiet
0: space. Yes. And please find us on socials if you're there. I Saw Pod on Instagram and whatever Twitter is now. And we talked about it at the top
1: of the episode, but we have merch and you should buy it and support us. We go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right Shop.
0: That's right. And then, of course, you're listening to a bonus episode and uh, new bonus episodes drop on the feed every third Thursday of the month. And then, of course, we have a metric shit ton of old bonus episodes that just come on the feed Every single day, every hour of the day. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> every couple weeks on a Wednesday, so.
1: It does feel like every day. Like, sometimes I'm like, wait, we have a new episode? Oh, it's an old bonus.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of content for you folks. I hope you're happy. Danielle, as always, a fucking pleasure to win this podcast with you. It was the best. And again, thank you for your emails. Those were wonderful. See you soon. soon. Bye. <laughs>
1: This has been an Exactly Right production, produced by Casey O'Brien, episode mixing and theme music by Tom Bryfogle, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. And you can email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.